Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the B-Movie Podcast. Uh, today, we have a special bonus episode, as you can tell by the show notes and the title. We're actually talking Fantasia Fest 2020 Virtual Edition. And because it was, it's a larger, bigger discussion, we actually brought some backup today. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but first, um, I'm, of course, Adam Kautzer, you're one of your co-hosts, and with me, as he always is, is my other co-host. Scott Phillips. And today we have a special guest, um, Forbes writer and um, uh, very many other uh, from other awesome sites, uh, Jeff Ewing. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. No, absolutely. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, we rarely have guests. Um, it's usually me and Scott just shooting the shit, and uh, it's kind of awesome that you, you wanted to join us uh, today to talk about Fantasia. Um, Right off the bat, we're going to actually talk about where everybody can find us on social media. I want to kind of uh, let everybody uh, who isn't following Jeff, and if you're not following Jeff, I don't know why. Uh, we're going to start off with Jeff and where you can find his work and where you can find him on the social medias. Uh, yeah, uh, check me out on Twitter at, uh, at real, R-E-E-L, Jeff Ewing. Dot, or, well, that's my Twitter handle. And then... Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm going to launch a new website, but if you find me on Twitter, you'll be able to find that too. And I'm going to be working on a podcast myself and, you know, all that will link to, to there. Absolutely. Very cool. Uh, uh, do you want to give a little preview about what uh, this podcast is and how soon is it coming? Sure. Uh, I'm hoping to launch a first episode um, in the next month. I've already gotten some uh, soft commits from guests, but uh it's a humanoids from the deep dive where we're going to do um, a deep thematic and contextual dive into all of our favorite uh, freaky creature films. You know, your, your Dracula's, your aliens, the thing, etc. Nice, nice. I do love the I do love the play on the Corman uh, on the Corman title. <laughs> definitely, <Thank you. laughs> absolutely. Great, great. Well, we'll definitely look out for it, and uh, we will definitely post uh, whenever it starts up. We'll make sure to let everybody know because that definitely sounds like um, something that our audience would love. Uh, so, with that, Scott, where can people find you on the social medias? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can be found on Twitter at m scott underscore phillips. Uh, and then uh, I do uh, video reviews for WRBL.com, which is a CBS affiliate here in Georgia. And then just this past week, literally a couple of days ago, I launched MScottPhillip.com, which is just kind of uh, a virtual filing cabinet, so to speak, of everything that I've done over the last seven years or so. Uh, hopefully it looks better than a filing cabinet, but... Uh, uh, that is where you can find kind of all my work from all the different outlets that I've contributed to over the years. Absolutely. And just so that you guys know, in the show notes, uh, beginning with um, the last episode that we posted, you'll see uh, Scott, a link to Scott's website um, uh, for a uh, future so that you can actually go onto the website and check it out. Uh, you can find me and the podcast uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, so the podcast is the B movie pod, the letter B, the word movie, the word pod, no dashes, no lines, no anything like that. Um, that's both for Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and then for the website itself, the movie aisle, you can find us also on Twitter and Instagram. It's all one word, the movie aisle, uh, no lines, no dashes or anything like that either. Um, 
Twitter, as we've always said, is more of a landing page for us, just letting you know uh, what's being posted, when you can get the uh, the podcast. Uh, and Instagram, we're a lot more uh, we're a lot more active on. So you definitely would want to follow us there if you're looking for some social media engagement. And with that. Guys, um, we are talking Fantasia Film Fest 2020 Virtual Edition. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand it over to each of the guests, or, uh, you know, Scott and Jeff, <laughs> to talk a little bit about um, the, the, the festival itself and their experience with it as a virtual, like in, in the virtual format, because... This year, me and Scott have already talked about uh, being a part of uh, Chattanooga, which was our first kind of venture into the virtual po- uh, or virtual film festival, and that was that was interesting and fun. Um, this was a lot different than that one, but I want to kind of get um, first, Jeff. Uh, what did you think of the the format and how it worked? Uh, I was surprised with how well they pulled it off for for converting it to an all-digital festival. I know um, from what people have told me, I've never been the flesh before, but it's it's typically longer than the 10-day one or so that we Right, got. yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, what, three weeks or so? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was, it was more compact and condensed. Um, they did a pretty good job of setting it up so it felt kind of like active and engaged, and I, I certainly did appreciate the convenience of being able to watch things on demand and and a little more flexibility that way absolutely um did you catch any of the um the the moderated q a's or anything because they like the cool thing was the well at least i thought it was super cool is that they actually all of the q a's and the moderated um uh talks were all made available on youtube if you didn't watch them live on zoom yeah the, the one that i did watch uh is i watched the john carpenter Masterclass. yes um and award presentation and that was really fun um i'm a huge carpenter fan so as anyone who follows me on twitter will know in like a good soft day <laughs> <laughs> and so uh and he was in was a really good fun. mood yeah. he was yes he was he was, yeah, he, was in a, he was in a good mood <laughs> yeah so it was uh that was really that's the only one that i got to catch yeah, I, I, I was the same. Uh, Scott, did you catch anything other than the Carpenter one? Because I know that you you were the one that told me about it, and I, I completely yeah. forgot about it. Yeah, no, that was the only one that uh, that I managed to catch. And, you know, one of the things, and at least for me, I don't know if they provided different access for you guys, uh, but, you know, the festival itself was, was geo-locked to Canada. So members mm-hmm. of the U.S. press kind of had a, a different experience, I think, than the people who actually got to attend the festival online. Uh, but they did a really good job of, you know, making all the content available to us. Uh, but it's hard, to, at least for me, to say specifically what the experience was of of doing the festival online, because I think you probably had to be in Canada and be able to access it the, the you know, uh, God, I don't know what you'd say, the basic way, so to speak, uh, to uh, to get a feel for it. No, absolutely. Um, and I was the same way. Like, you know, I saw 32 films over the the since we had had access to the media library. So it was literally, I think it was anywhere between one to two films a day, seven days a week for like three weeks that I was I was doing this. And it definitely 
Like what I found was even if I wasn't really like I was doing my own curation, I found that within my own curation, the thing that was really funny to me was that little little things like little thematics kept on coming up within my own thing even if i was randomly doing something that i didn't intentionally mean to do it always seemed to lead to like there was an overarching there's a lot of overarching themes that they were at that were at play with all of the films that um at least i saw um at the festival yeah yeah no absolutely i uh i'd be curious to know uh, Jeff, what you thought in the sense that, you know, I've done uh, Fantasia a few years, never in person, but but remotely. And I've always been really impressed by their curation, uh, really impressed by their depth of, of international programming. Yeah, that was lovely. And, and, and so I was just wondering, you know, kind of being new to their content this year, uh, what did you think? Uh, I thought that their international curation was very, very impressive. Um, another thing that, I, one thing that I tend to cover a lot is, uh, things that I find worth checking out in, uh, in Asian cinema. Um, you know, last year I, I got to do, uh, some good press work on Parasite and, and I just love trying to keep up with cutting edge stuff happening in Japan and in Korea and, uh, Taiwan, China, and they had some great curation, especially for the for the Latin American and Asian content. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like uh, I definitely the bulk of my the bulk of my uh, viewing uh, was definitely the Asian. Uh, like what I was drawn to was the Asian cinema, specifically the the Korean and Japanese uh, films mm-hmm. that they had. Um, even like I I found myself watching a lot of the. Um, uh, the not the the uh, what, what were they <laughs> what were they uh, what were they considered the older films the ones that they were bringing back uh, right. mm-hmm. just because I would watch like I mean they were always purposeful because I'd watch something and then I'd find out that that particular person actually they had another film uh, from them or a couple of films from them and I would just go ahead and request it it was pretty easy I found that. Um, not having a, a true library, I thought it was going to be difficult because like, you know, we had to request these things. I know this is so insider yeah, baseball, right. but yeah. I found but that Stephen it was... Lee is awesome. Yes. He's my hero. Shout out to 100% Stephen. 100% very much. <laughs> I can't even imagine how many requests he was getting and how on yep. the ball he was about that stuff. Absolutely. Um, it's amazing. And just so professional and quick and polite. I'm like, oh, hey, I'm sorry. Uh, I know this wasn't on my last, like, 10 that I requested, but can I have these two titles? He's like, yes, on it within like an hour and a half. And I'm like, you must be so caffeinated and overworked right now. <laughs> yeah. Incredibly, just awesome. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Like I could never, like, I don't think that there was anything that I requested from him that I didn't get. And he would, and the weirdest, the weirder part was, is that I'm used to asking PR reps for, things like especially if they say come back to me i'm usually used to have to do it two or three times he said come back to me but then literally the day i would be going he i forgot about this i'm sorry and i'm like why are you sorry like thank you uh so like yeah uh big love to that team because they were really on they were really on point with uh with that and uh, like you know i know that a lot of people like don't have the press experience but you know it always helps when you have really great PR people going in basically 
helping you out and making it as easy as possible because that can i don't know about you guys but that can really affect my viewing of a movie especially if it becomes a real big pain to get something and having to completely request it time and time again and then finally getting mm -hmm. it yep absolutely uh also uh, uh another quick shout out with how they converted it digitally um their in-house links were all vimeo yes works on every platform and is yes. so easy and convenient um and then i also use the my smart tv's browser for their actual site just to try it out and it actually worked really well so like their in-house like uh platform was extremely convenient yes no absolutely yeah vimeo like all of their vimeo links were per beautiful links like like i have to that was a that was a big thing for me also was just like i like just watching it being able to see oh. something like just beautifully put uh, like not projected but beautifully put onto my 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 tv um was a big part of this i mean you know it's like we're all sheltering in place right now and so like you know we all have like we probably all have these really nice tvs and so to be able to actually use them in the proper way and not have to have it super pixelated it does make the difference between a, a good experience and a great experience so with that guys i think that we're ready to kind of dive in and start talking about like you know um our top five ish like i i'm pretty sure that like jeff probably like us you probably maybe cheated once or twice just to get something in to talk about um which is totally cool <laughs> um but what we're gonna do is we're gonna start off with five and work our way to one and we'll just do like you know a daisy chain there's just a ring around the rosies and we'll start off with you jeff with your number five film okay um my uh fifth favorite film uh this is a really tough choice i also have a couple cheaters honorary mentions at the bottom oh yeah. if you want to you want to do honorary mentions let's do honorary mentions first then because i have okay. I, I have i have like one honorary mention i have two i think <laughs> okay i'll keep mine to two then okay. um so one is uh honorary mention monster seafood wars oh yes uh it's old school throwback goofy kaiju like og costumes yes it's this weird like love letter to uh kaiju old school godzilla kaiju cinema that doesn't take itself super seriously it's a lot of fun it makes you really hungry for sushi it's just a good time if you like <laughs> that stuff at all like you're gonna love this film yep um just to add on to that like that was that was actually i'm glad that you mentioned that one because that was one of my uh my honorary mentions um mm -hmm. it's it's such a, like i saw it at the same time i was digging into the gamera box set so oh, yeah. it was like this perfect combination of like like you have to be in that kind of mindset of like you know man in suit because it's literally that for uh for me and uh it was just it was just a fun just out of left field if you're not used to if you're not used to like the absurdist comedies that japan brings out it can be very out of left field but if you kind of have done this stuff like if you've kind of watched this stuff before you kind of like you get into that lull and it just it's a good time it's just like a warm comfort food mm -hmm. exactly it may be really hungry because they have a they take a little weird remix break in the middle that's kind of like uh, sushi advertisements and like yes. well you'll know it if you see it 
and I got so hungry. <laughs> um, the minute I knew, like, I know it sounds weird, but the minute I knew I was in love with this film was in the third act when the thing happens. You know what I'm talking about, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, I do. Yeah, when that happened, it, like, I literally stood up and I clapped, like, like just some kind of giddy schoolgirl because it was just, I had a feeling that they might go there. But I didn't know. And then when they did, I was like, oh, they really, um, they really, really, really kind of love kaiju films in Saturday morning manga anime. They just, they just, they had that kind of love that, and that handcraftedness to it that, like, I really appreciated. And you're right. Definitely a foodie movie. Absolutely. Um, And then my other honorary mention is uh, uh, My Punch Drunk Boxer. Okay, I. Is, uh... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just gonna say I did not get to see that. I really wanted to. Um, so, but I think Scott you'll, did. You'll be hearing more about that later from me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Um, well, then I will uh, leave the big thing for that. But uh, I will just say that it is uh, such a stupidly charming film, and I uh, recreationally like to, you know, kind of box on the side a little bit. Huh? Um, and I just found everything about it super charming. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good. Good. I'm glad I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be very jealous when you guys, when you two talk about this later on, because it was something that was high on my list. Um, all right. So Scott, do you have honorary mentions? I know you do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my first one would be bleed with me. Mm. Uh, okay. I don't know if anybody, anybody else saw that one. I saw that one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, I really liked it. It, uh, is from a, a female writer, director, uh, Amelia Moses. Uh, I especially enjoyed the, uh, the lead performance by Lee Marshall, uh, as Rowan. Uh, she plays a woman who's obviously had some issues. Uh, she is clearly, uh, engaged in self-harming in her past. Uh, she has the scars from, from cutting herself uh, and so it's this interesting idea of, uh, you know, is is she back to that? Is she self-harming or is possibly uh, the friend that she has gone on vacation with uh, interested in tasting her blood? Hmm. And so uh, it's almost like, uh, you know, self-harming meets vampirism in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, but I thought she was great. She was like this super eccentric kind of Renee Zellweger, uh, in the, uh, in the movie. And, uh, and so I just thought it was, uh, it was really a, a good kind of single location. They're pretty much always in this kind of cabin that they went to vacation in, uh, and, you know, just a cast of basically three principals, uh, and I uh, just thought it really went uh, interesting places. I don't, I don't think it's actual U.S. releases until 2021, uh, but it's one that uh, I would keep an eye out for. Um, yeah, I really like it. Uh, it has a awesome a way about its like dreamlike cinematography mm-hmm. that really like sold the, the that really puts you inside like the lead character's uh, paranoia, like increasing yes. paranoia, and it it achieves it without anything really fancy it's just really thoughtful cinematography choices yeah no absolutely i agree with that completely and then i don't know adam you and i had had a chance to to talk offline 
uh, a little bit about my my next honorable mention. It may actually be on your list, which is Hunted. Yes, that is on my list. Okay, then then we'll defer discussion until we get to it on your list. But that's one of my other honorable mentions. Did you see that, Jeff? I missed that one. Gotcha. I well, we'll, uh, yeah. well, we'll talk about it when we hit on uh, hit it on Adam's list. Absolutely, yeah, that was a little bit higher on my list. So, um, all right. So, my honorary mentions. Um, the first one is uh, just a just a shot of like just sunshine. Um, Project Dreams: How to Build Manzinger's Hangar. Have either one of you heard a? Did you guys, either one of you had a, either A, a chance to see it, or B, heard of it? No, I didn't catch it. Uh, no, I didn't see it. I, I mean, other than seeing it on the roster and reading a little thumbnail about it, I was totally unfamiliar with it. All right. Um, just a short pitch about it. It's this workplace comedy where um, it's set in Japan, and it's actually based on a true story, but the way that they deal with it and the flights of fancy, it's very much so done in the kind of Scott Pilgrim like um, esque white kind of flights of fancy where they'll go off and do these very kind of esoteric but very grounded in anime style um, like, you know uh, one-offs and um, basically it's about this uh, this group of engineers that work in this company this construction company that um, they're like the only the, the, the easiest way to describe him is a lunatic uh, of a boss decides that they're going to make this project about Manzing, uh, Manzinger Z um, which is an anime about a robot they're going to basically make this a construction project about the hangar, like the, the hangar that the, which within the, that the robot is in. And so basically this, this, this dream project that they're working on, it basically forces the, this group of people. It's, it's about seven, it's about seven, like, of uh, seven co-workers it forces them to kind of begin to look at their jobs and reassess their their workplace and rather than them like you know most workplace drama or wor most workplace comedies i always see are always about i need to get out i need to rebel mm -hmm. and that's how i get my my comfort and joy but this one it's a very japanese notion of if you do good within your job you'll find joy and there's this creeping sense of pride that they take in doing everything that they're doing, even though this project is crazy, um, that comes through and it just becomes at the end, it, it just explodes in a way that only a Japanese comedy like this can explode and it be completely reasonable and kind of joyous. Uh, it, it's definitely not for everybody. Um, but the people that do kind of get on its wavelength, it, and that's why it's one of my honorable mentions is it's one of those movies that you can just kind of get behind and you go, yeah, I love this movie. Awesome. Yeah. And my second, um, is, so this actually might be on, um, this might be on Scott or yours list, which is the dark and the wicked or, uh, the wicked and the, 
The Dark and the Wicked or The, the dark Wicked? The Dark and the Wicked. The Dark yeah. and the Wicked. It's on, my, on list. my list. Okay. <laughs> so we uh, we will we will save that discussion for later. Awesome. So uh okay, so then now it's up uh Jeff, what was your number 5? Uh my number 5 was Minor Premise. Okay. Um I didn't see that. I know Scott did, but why don't you yep. kind of uh, give us the um, the deets on this one? Yeah. Okay. So this uh, this reclusive neuroscientist he uses this. Um, he's trying to surpass his scientist father's legacy, and he uses this experiment on himself, which ends up uh, uh, effectively splitting his personality in different directions. Um, and he has to find a way to. Uh, work through some traumatic issues that he's had and reintegrate his personalities before um, really bad things happen. And it's uh, describing it doesn't really do it justice. It's this really cool, smart sci-fi thriller um, that was just really well executed. And uh, there were some really good sci-fi films uh, at the fest and it's very much one of my favorites. Absolutely. Now, is it kind of like a Shane Carruth kind of sci-fi? Like, is it hard sci-fi, kind of labyrinthian? Um, yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Like lower, kind of like small locations, lower budget, but you get a lot of the the tension more from the ideas and their and the tight structuring of the plot. Um, and it was really fun. It really worked for me. All right, absolutely, Scott anything to add yeah no exactly it's like a it's kind of like a lo-fi sci-fi okay and uh and, and most is you know the science fiction kind of lies like jeff was saying in the ideas uh as opposed to you know i mean it's not like space opera or, or something like that it's more of a, a, a kind of a puzzle film uh it reminds me of things like uh you know coherence uh, yep. You know, uh, things along that line where it's 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 a, a trippy idea. And so they're playing all the different kind of permutations and variations of this uh, kind of mind bending, time bending kind of idea. And so, yeah, I thought it was, you know, super creative and, and, and really well done. So uh, it lets you know just how deep the bench is at uh, Fantasia when a movie that I like, you know, that much uh, didn't quite crack my top five. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Minor present premise. I'll have to actually check it out. Um, I hadn't realized that Dana Ashbrook from Twin Peaks was in it, and I'm a huge fan of, uh, uh, I'm a huge ha- fan of Bobby. So like, I'm gonna have to definitely put that on my list. Yeah, I don't think you'll be sorry. Absolutely. Uh, so Scott, what was your number five? Yeah, my number five is Dark and the Wicked. Uh, mm-hmm. and so uh, yeah, that uh, you know. Uh, it's not often that a movie really scares me <laughs> and and that's okay you know i mean it's i mean you know i'm i'm 51 years old i've seen a ton of horror films uh you know i'm i'm, I'm pretty well grounded uh, you know i'm not necessarily uh terrified by stuff uh but uh, but this movie was just so unsettling and and in the best way if you're a a horror fan and so uh, uh, keying off of uh, of what uh, you guys had to say about the the platform and everything like that, this was one that I was able to throw up on my my uh, big screen television, and I put on the you know the nicer uh, the Bluetooth uh, movie watching headphones that I have, 
And I got to tell you, you know, lights out. It was about 10 o'clock at night when I was watching it. And there were multiple times that I was like, you're not really going to look over your shoulder, are you? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> at, uh, at just how creepy it got. And so uh, it's one of these uh, kind of rural horror films, you know, where we're out on the farm with uh, mom, dad, and uh, and a couple of siblings that grew up on the farm. And dad is dying uh, from cancer and the kids come back for, for a visit. And when I say kids, I mean, you know, they're, they're grown. They're like in their thirties, uh, with, uh, one of them with children of his own. Uh, and they get there and it's just like, things are not right. And it's not just that they have a parent dying. It's just, there's something off their mom's off. Uh, there's something going on on the farm that seems off. Even the animals aren't acting right. Uh, and so I'm not going to go into any big plot details because I don't want to spoil anything, but it just begins with this kind of disquieting sense of dread uh, that only crows during the film. Uh, and so it makes a lot of good uses of kind of your usual horror tropes of, you know, did that really happen or was I dreaming? Uh, you know, am I having a mental breakdown or is something supernatural going on? Uh, those kind of little, you know, thematic tugs of war that you have in horror films uh, so that you can continue the suspense and not necessarily reveal all right off the bat uh, are at work here and and, and done really well. Uh, yeah, it's actually my uh, my number four. Um, oh, perfect. Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll save most of my comments for that, but I totally agree. Um, and uh, there's this sense of dread and inevitability to things mm-hmm. that happen, yes. which is, uh, mm-hmm. I'll talk about that more um, next round, but I really um, think that that's a, it's, it's a harder feeling to pull off in a film than, than you would think. Yeah. Um, but they do a, a very admirable job. No, absolutely. I'll just, I'll speak to it a little bit. Um, uh, it's like, like, it's really, it's a very special movie. Um, I'm glad that Shudder picked it up and Shudder's going to be releasing it in October um, because I feel like they're the kind of platform that w- is going to treat this film right and get it to the right horror audience. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I'll save a little bit more of my comments for your your next uh, when you when it comes up on your next round, because it's impressive it, just because it's my it's one of my fault fo- uh, like you know my my uh, honorable mentions does not take away from how effective it is uh because mm-hmm. yeah it is highly effective um there's some scares in there the light switch wow that's all i'll say <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but i'll go to my number five um which uh is so I forgave this movie for its opening. And I think I know Scott and I talked about this um, because of just how blunt of an instrument it is and how Mm -hmm. effective it was. Um, And that is the closing night film of Fantasia, uh, which was for the sake of vicious. Um, Did you Mm. see the film, Jeff? I missed that one. No. Okay. So it's essentially a siege film. Well, like it, it, it takes its time to get to the siege film, but it becomes this like practical effects, gore heavy siege film where it's about these three people versus a gang of motorcycle, motorcycle helmet wearing dudes. And 
Like when I say it's a blunt instrument, it is like there are scenes like that literally put me into like a tense knot because of just how they they filmed it and just how it was executed. It's now Scott and I had talked about this before, which is, is that um, the first half of it, the first 15 minutes really feels like it does need a good edit, a good cleanup edit, because there's some stuff in it that it's just not a hundred percent there. But I will tell you this after that 15 minutes, like the reason why it's so high is because it is so highly effective. Like it is, like I said, it is a blunt instrument. It is, it, it, it rocks the siege film. Like it definitely, like it's not like um. I was trying to compare it to to something for somebody, but I was like, there's no comparison because of the Tom Savini like FX mm-hmm. gore that they're using in this film. And like when I say Tom cool. Savini, I'm talking like maniac Tom Savini. Like it's that kind <laughs> of bloody. So if you're into that that kind of stuff, um, this one is definitely for you, Scott. Did you have anything to add to it? I know it's yeah, not on uh, your list. Yeah, no, it's not. But but I did enjoy. Uh, I told Adam uh, when we had talked about it uh, earlier that it kind of felt to me like two thirds of one movie and one third of another movie put together. And so to me, the front third of it was just almost unnecessary. It was like they were trying to set up various character motivations and reasons that, you know, these people would be opposite one another or have animosity toward one another. Mm-hmm. And and I really didn't think that it that part of it paid off. And really, honestly, with the remaining two thirds of the film, it didn't even really matter. I mean, you know, these could have, these people could have just mistakenly have gone to this house and yeah. and that movie still would have been, you know, good in, in the back two thirds of it. And so, yeah, it's, it's quite an accomplishment in the sense of it's small rooms. It's a very confined space that they're filming these fight scenes in and, and, you know, they're not grandiose martial arts kind of scenes. I mean, they're just like fighting for your life, trying to survive kinds of scenes. And uh, and so uh, I thought that, you know, with the effects uh, and the cinematography and the cramped quarters and everything that it did a lot well. Uh, I still wish that I had seen somebody reload that revolver at some point because I lost count at about nine rounds fired off. So yeah, I would I would have felt better if uh, if they had uh, had somebody reload the gun on camera. But <laughs> beyond that, uh, uh, I thought that the uh, siege stuff worked really well. Absolutely. All right. It sounds like it should have done. Have either of you seen uh, Underwater? Yes. yes. <laughs> sounds like it should have taken the underwater treatment where they just forego having a first act entirely. They're like, and don't need that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we don't even know who these characters are. We're going to spend 90 minutes running with them. So <laughs> that's yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, your number four, uh, Jeff, was uh, The Dark and the Wicked. So why don't you kind yes. of uh, talk about about this uh, this one? Uh, okay, so I would say that, you know, we talked about it a little bit. Uh, I loved how effectively scary it was. It built such a strong tension and atmosphere. Um, uh, lead protagonist, I think, played by, I want to say, Marin Ireland? Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
Um, she does such a good job of selling the emotion and trying to sort of give everything she has to protect her family from this menace. Um, and it built tension really strongly, really effectively. Um, the only reason it's not higher on my list is because I felt like, and I'm going to try and talk about this without spoiling anything. <laughs> um, so the entity wants something that doesn't give anything away, but the steps that it takes to get what it wants, or we presume, you know, to make progress towards that goal, um, it takes like 200 steps for a simple end that the, the power it demonstrates, I feel like, is a little bit overkill for what it wants. Yes. And, and it's an enjoyable watch, but I'm like, wow, way to bring like a tank to night fight. Like, <laughs> um, and, and that kind of was a bit of a mismatch for me because I feel like it was, you know, it didn't make sense to me, but um, it was still an amazing watch, uh, very well executed, uh, great command of tone. Yep. Definitely watch it with not right before bed like I did. <laughs> and I did, obviously. <laughs> um, I, like you say, tone, and it's definitely, it, that's definitely the key here. Uh, 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 the writer-director, uh, Brian Bertino, um, he directed one of my favorite films of the last 20 years, which is The Strangers. Like, And again, that's all tone. Uh, and then this has some of that bleakness. Yes, mm -hmm. it definitely does. Like you go like please go into it knowing that there is no like like when you see it and you realize don't think that there's going to be shortcuts in this film, which I kind of loved. I loved that like at a certain point it's like, "Oh, yeah, this is not a like this is not a commercial horror film. This is like definitely from its roots, low budget, lo-fi. Um it, it's pretty amazing. And special shout out to Xander Berkeley who wow, like that's that was a performance and a half. Yeah, huh. it took me a minute to figure out that's who that was. It yeah. was the voice. It yeah. was not how he looked. It was the voice. Yeah. And then I was like, holy smoke, man, you talk about disappearing into a part. Uh, yeah. I figured out who it was. And yeah, he was in it briefly, but man, he made the most of it. Yeah, I, I didn't write this in my review, but like the film, I, I would describe it as feeling uh, like you find yourself, you kind of, as a viewer, feel like you're stuck on a freight train moving straight into, like, evil sovereign territory. You can't do anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yep. It's 50 miles of bad road, and you're locked in, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yep, um, just watch. Yep. And, and this is one that I really honestly, like, after I saw it, like, I forced myself through it. Like, I didn't stop it, but I really wish that I had had a theatrical experience on this one because it feels like it's designed to build up in a theater and with an audience because I could see how that could play. Um, yeah. You know, but again, different times now as we all say um but yeah this one is this one's definitely and this is something that you guys can actually see coming in october to shutter if you guys have shutter available to you and if you don't i don't know what you guys are doing listening to the b-movie podcast i mean <laughs> like it's the it's the best deal in all of streaming dumb i think it's 50 dollars a year for an entire yeah year. i just throw money at them and i'm like i don't care what you charge it's worth it to have a deep library. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, they get their audience. Yep. You know? They do. They so do. They like, love horror. They yeah. actually do love horror. They're not being um, 
it's not just like a thing that they bring on some rando to to do it. Like every single person involved with Shutter that I've ever talked to is a huge fan. No, absolutely. Right. Like you can feel Sam Zimmerman's fingers over everything in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you know, and he's like you know, I know he's one of the big curators there, and it's just it's it's a lovely experience. It's kind of like similar akin to like for me, it's akin to like the way that the Criterion Channel is. It's like you know, if you're into that kind of film then you know what? Buckle up because you're going to get your money's worth from Criterion. Same way with Shudder. If you're a horror fan, you're going to get your money's worth like more than anything. Like you could just do a roulette and you'd find something that you of interest. So mm-hmm. yeah, with that, Scott, what is your number four? Um, you know, I started to worry about myself a little bit because Jeff tweeted about this movie <laughs> and he said that he liked the columnist but beware of any writer who just like really loves it. And I was like, uh Oh, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say anything. Uh, but, uh, but no, I, uh, it's a, it's a Dutch film and, and it is called the, the columnist, or at least that's the translation in English. And, uh, it's this great, uh, film about a, uh, a columnist, obviously an author, uh, someone who writes with, you know, kind of a, a political bent, uh, and, uh, and so it's set in our world of, you know, social media and trolls and, and people taking umbrage at every little thing that she says, escalating all the way up to, you know, death threats on social media. And so she's got a new book coming out and, and the trolls are out with their at least figurative knives sharpened, uh, coming after her. And so, uh, as I wrote in, in my review, uh, she decides that it is time to hack back uh, both on the computer and literally. Hmm. <laughs> and so uh, it, it's a, it's just a great satire of, of social media and the culture that we find ourselves in. Uh, and, you know, uh, her, her cancel culture is a little bit literal. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, and so, uh, but I think it's great. And, and so it's on my list mostly uh, because of the fact that I find good satire hard to do. And, yeah. uh, and it, it, it hits that tone of they're playing it straight. I mean, this thing is, is, has got a streak of black humor running through it, but they're basically playing it like a thriller. And so there's no winky, winky, nudgy, nudge, break the fourth wall, uh, you know, tip a wink to the camera. Uh, none of that, you know, did you see what we just did there? Wasn't that funny? Uh, they're, they're playing it straight. And then that's just the best way to, to do satire. And so, uh, it definitely landed, uh, in my top five. It was actually, uh, just, uh, through a just fluke of what I chose to watch first, the, the first thing that I saw, uh, for Fantasia. And I thought, man, we are, we are off to a great start. Was this on your list also, Jeff? Uh, it's not on my list, but I thought real hard about it. I, I, do, <laughs> I do really, really like the tone. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I found it a very enjoyable, engaging watch. It really pulled me through. Um, uh, yeah, I definitely uh, I, I enjoyed it very much. It just got narrowly edged out. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, and, and and this is all like, like we talk, like I've talked about, it's all subjective. I mean, it's like at any di- given day, like my, my list could definitely change because of the films that I felt like were like of the 32 films I saw at Fantasia, I think maybe only a handful were really like just outright. They just didn't do anything for me. Um, so like, you know, the, the pickings are pretty 
pretty is pretty great and it kind of just kind of tells you the kind of roster that they had this year so the batting average is high absolutely i'll I'll say just two quick things one there Mm -hmm. were a couple of films that i straight up didn't finish Uh, yeah real hard no i just executive decision move down the list (laughs) because that's very rude (laughs) yeah no um there was one that took me like it's a like i i it's not going to be named here it was a 70 minute film and it took me four hours to finish but I finished uh, yeah. and I'm pretty sure that like I told I told Scott about this one and he had it and he was like, I'll stay away from that. And I'm like, yeah, it would. You're just going to frustrate you. But is, is this where I say that uh, we'll form a, a Patreon and the highest bidders will name names and trash <laughs> yeah. things? Is that, uh, is that the way this works? As long as I get a cut, I'm, I'm game for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. You're, getting dra- you're getting dragged down with us. You may as well get cut in. Exactly. Yeah. My, my, my really brief final thing that I really want about the columnist, and I'll uh-huh. keep this to one minute. Uh, I really want, I don't normally want an American remake, but I want one just so they can put Brie Larson in it. <laughs> <laughs> she gets so much unearned, like, hate from yes. certain corners yes. of the internet. And yes. when you see the uh, when you see the film audience, you will get why she'd be the perfect, most poetic actress to play the lead yep. character. Yep. I'm going to give it a whole meta quality. <laughs> yep. All right. All right. I'll... Perfect. <laughs> I'll have to put that one on my list. That's something that I did not get to. Um, so my number, uh, my number four is it, it's, it, it's a, it's not a serious film. It's actually a comedy, like a straight up comedy, um, which was uh, the paper tigers. Uh, that's that's even higher on my list. Oh wow! Okay, so then we will save the discussion for that later. But it's it, it's just got a lot of heart. It's got it's yep. it's the it's. I will say this much: like this is the kind of movie. Like I was telling Scott um, offline when we both saw it, I was like, "This is the kind of movie that anywhere from between 1996 to about 2004, this would have been picked up for a lot of money and would have been released and probably would have been a big hit." Like it's that kind of crossover appeal, but we're in different times now, but uh, we'll get to like, you know, just how, like, you know, just how good this film is at a later point. So with that, Jeff, we're back to you with your number three. Fantastic. Uh, My number three is a comedy also. Um, I picked uh, special actors. I'm glad you did. Uh, So the director of the, uh, the international success zombie comedy, uh, One Cut of the Dead. Uh, it's a follow-up feature film. Um, so there's a protagonist who faints when he gets nervous, but he tries his hand at acting anyway and ends up getting... <laughs> I don't know why, he just does. It's wonderful. Yeah. Um, and he ends up um, uh, involved with an acting troupe that hires actors to play people in real life for real life situations um you know you want to look good to a girl or you want people to cry at your funeral that sort of thing um so they get hired to rescue a woman's sister from a cult (laughs) and uh and hijinks ensue it's um it's charming it's uh engaging um it was just so like nice to watch and life affirming and funny and it takes interesting twists that keep you you know moving along with it um it's just a blast to watch absolutely yeah uh scott did you put this on your list 
Uh, it is not on my list, but I, I saw this one through the Japan Cuts Festival. Yes. Uh, that was like, I guess, at the end of July, I want to think. And, and same reaction as Jeff. I just thought it was super clever, really well performed. It kind of had one of these kind of con man film vibes to it. Yep. Uh, you know, and uh, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really good film. And, and it was interesting to see someone... Uh, who had used kind of horror uh, as a framework for their first film to decide not to go back to that well again and do something, you know, different uh, the next go around and, and succeed uh, as well as it does. So uh, I was impressed. There was no uh, no sophomore slump there. No, there definitely wasn't. Um, it's not on my list, but I definitely loved um, I definitely loved special actors. It's, uh, I, I told somebody it's, it's kind of, it's, it kind of reminded me in a weird way to, um, Ryan Johnson's The Brothers Bloom in, in, in the way that how it's able to grapple with tone so well. Like it, it takes you like once you're in, once you're in the seat, like he can take you anywhere. And with the exception of the ending of Brothers Bloom, which is way different than this one. Um, but the way that it deals with certain kinds of concepts and tones, it's, it's very much so like this thing, this, this kind of coming out for a director that just basically says, I'm confident. I'm so confident that I'm going to go away from something that I did so well and I'm going to do something else even like I, I personally feel that like I feel that like I watched this I think three times through my screener because it was so much fun it's just one of those things where it's like I liked this more I hate saying it but I liked it more than I liked One Cut of the Dead and I liked One Cut of the Dead but this one was just something about it um, that's just it's like it's like you, like you said it's a lovely film like it just, and then when you see the end game, it makes you want to go watch it all over again. Yeah, no, totally. And and I feel like you know, and maybe it's just a twenty twenty thing where uh, you know I can't say if I prefer it or one cut exactly because they're both great. They're very different. Yes. But like right now, with twenty twenty being the year that won't end from hell, uh, <laughs> just <laughs> watching a film that's just effing pleasant is so yes. nice. Yes. yes, the Bill and Ted factor like that's yeah. that's what i think everybody's calling it right now is that like the bill and ted factor i mean like face the music is a like it's one of those movies that you just go oh thank you yeah i just straight up bought it first day side and scene i'm like bill and ted yes like, yeah. and then you watch you it you go it. yeah and then you watch it you go yes this is what i like i needed thank you Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. yeah, absolutely. No, I, I completely get it. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is a, that's a, I hope uh, like I haven't seen anything about it being released in the U.S. anywhere. Um, but you know, a, a company like Go Well does all always does well with these. No one, no pun intended. Always does well with releasing, um, like you know, Asian cinema and hopefully somebody like them or even somebody bigger, like because it does have that kind of crossover appeal as long as they can market it correctly. And the kid, I don't, I cannot remember his name. I was trying to figure out what his name was for my because like the press notes don't give you anything. Um, but the kid who like the, the main character, like they got to put him in a horror film. He's so just kind of frailly funny in like, I I don't know how any, uh, how else to put it, but he's, he makes, 
fragility funny. Well, and the thing that I really like that the plot does, um, uh, not to monopolize the conversation, is that <laughs> I, just, I love that they use his weakness in so many instances in clever, different ways as like what gets him through a bad situation yes. and make a new discovery or use as an advantage. So like his weaknesses become strengths and yes. not in a cheesy way. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Like it, it definitely, <laughs> it definitely like it helps. It, it's one of the things that I did like about it. Like the spin, like the cleverness of thinking about the conventions of certain kind of genres, which I feel like is a theme that like runs through my last like three are like taking conventions and throwing them on their ear. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, which like was something that I found a lot of films did um, at Fantasia this year. So with that, Scott, what was your number three? Savage state. That is higher on my list. What about you? Cool. Cool. Uh, I didn't see that one. Okay. Then, then I will defer until it's your pick, Adam, and we'll talk about it. Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, number three for me was Hunted. Um, so yeah, like Scott, like Scott said, it was one of his honorable mentions. This was really um, high on my list. Uh, it's, it's the it takes a cliche of a of a plot of the serial killer captures the girl and then the girl goes on the run and the tables turn and does such a finitely good artistic job of taking it and pushing it to an absurdist level, (laughs) but not in a way that takes away from the horror of the situation that I, I like, I literally was stunned at the end. Like I literally was like, like I was kind of watching it. And then at a certain point, about 10 minutes in, when there's this moment in a car, it really kind of shakes you. And then from there, it kind of gives you, it gets this death grip on you and it doesn't let go until the end. Um, The thing that it should be noted about it is that it's directed by the co-director of uh, Persepolis, uh, the yep. animated film. Yep. Yes, he was actually the graphic artist uh, of Persepolis that, uh, you know, uh, Marie, uh, Marie Shopity. I, I I know I'm ruining her name, um, co-directed uh, Persephilus with. And uh, this is his, like, you know, this is, like, basically his debut as his, oh, like, a, as a single, like, as a, not a co-director. And you can definitely feel and see his, his, like, you know, where he comes from in the art world because there's some stuff in this film that you just, you, you could only imagine was from somebody who had really thought about this and deconstructed it. Um, Yeah. 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 No. Yeah. That's a, that's a great, uh, I was sitting here actually looking at my written review of it. uh, And I said, uh, it expects its audience to have considerable thriller watching experience and takes great glee and zigging where you think it will zag. And so that's, that's what you're saying is just kind of defying the expectations and, uh, you know, and I mean, I mean, I thought it had moments in it that were just laugh out loud, just, uh, you know, just not necessarily like traditional comedy, 
but just like almost glee of just kind of defying your expectations. Uh, like, uh, I won't spoil it. All I will say is blue paint. Yes. Oh my God. And, and that, and, and that whole little segment, I was just like, Oh my God, this is just so genius. And why has nobody ever done this before? And, uh, and so it has a lot of that originality in it that, uh, that, uh, you know, just made it uh, a really nice find. Absolutely. And I will say, I will leave you guys with this. I've never laughed harder at a moment where somebody said, I love you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's not just me. <laughs> no, you laugh too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I, I like it, it needed that moment. And when it did, it did. Um, so yeah. Uh, I don't know, like they've not talked about when, when, or if this has been picked up for release, but, um, this is for certain kind of people like who love their horror with a huge deconstructionist deconstructionist bent to it. Um, you should see this film. You should mark this down as a movie that you should see hunted. And with that, we get to our number two, Jeff, what is your number two? Uh, so for my, uh, number two choice, I picked detention. Okay. All right. I, I have did, not seen that. Yeah, we. I didn't get. I didn't get to see that. So, sell us on detention. I'm. I'm excited to hear this. So, uh, detention. It's a piece of Asian cinema, and it's uh, set in the white terror period of Taiwan history in 1962. Okay. Um, so it's in this sort of effectively fascistically controlled school where, where you know, knowledge is heavily policed. If you have, uh, you know. Uh, if the, the government doesn't approve of your activities, you might find yourself disappearing. And uh, so a young girl, she's in love with her professor who is involved with this underground literature club. One day he goes missing and uh, she finds herself shortly afterwards uh, waking up in a different version of the school that is devoid of students and official authorities and roaming with monsters and ghosts. Oh. And it's creepy and it's nonlinear in parts, and uh, it's just a really interesting sort of anti-fascist horror fairy tale. I feel like it would pair really well with early Del Toro. Okay. Um, I love it. Uh, if you like sort of more surreal horror that kind of like bends and loops and does interesting stuff uh, with a bit of a political edge, I think it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be your poison. All right. It's a uh, it's a directorial debut, isn't it? Uh, memory serves, yeah. Well, I mean, in the sense of like a feature debut, obviously, yes. in shorts, but right. uh, but yeah, yeah, that's 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 impressive to get super high praise like that for something, especially a debut film. So that's awesome. Yeah, I feel like the 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 one caveat is that I feel like it could have used a little more of a first act, maybe just to kind of set the terrain before it starts get sort of like a kind of warping with the narrative and before a very surreal thing happens. Uh, I kept up with it. I still think it's a lovely watch overall. It's great. All right. I'm definitely, um, I'm definitely going to put this on my list. And uh, from my, from what it sounds like, it was actually um, adapted from a video game, which is wild to me. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. I 
I was just uh, doing a little bit of research here <laughs> and uh, just saw that. And I'm like, what? Like that, that's some wild stuff. Um, uh, I, like Ooh. I'm definitely, when you say Del Toro, like when you say early Del Toro, that definitely puts it on my radar. So I'm definitely going to have to uh, search this one out. I'm just, yeah, I'm just sitting like here thinking. Uh, backbone and then detention. Ah, nice. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm just sitting here hoping that the link's still good. <laughs> I'll make sure that I catch it. <laughs> um, all right. So your number two, Scott, what was that? Yeah, it was uh, the Paper Tigers, which was your three or four. Uh, that was my four. Okay. So okay. let's yeah, talk. So I had it a little, I think I had it a little, uh, a little higher on my list than you because I'm 10 years older than you. <laughs> uh, uh, have you seen this film, Jeff? No, but it's not on my list of ones to chase them down for afterwards. Um, yeah, it's uh, the reason that I say that is, is, you know, it's a in the beginning of the movie, you have these three guys who are teenagers. So they're they're graduating from high school and everything. They're like 18 ish. Uh, and uh, and you see them training with their kind of uh um, uh, I would say sensei because I, I grew up on the Karate Kid, but they use the different word for it uh, in uh, in in this film. Uh, but in essence, kind of like the master that they are studying under. Uh, and then the action jumps forward thirty years, and so basically, what that means is they're just knocking on the door of my age. That would put them at like forty nine ish, something like that. Uh, I'm fifty one, and so. It is very much a a martial arts comedy, and a lot of the comedy is just derived from the thought of being about 50 years old and needing to go kick somebody's butt with your kung fu. <laughs> and, and so, you know, uh, blown out uh, hamstrings and groin pulls and everything else ensue uh, when these guys, you know, get involved in some of the fight scenes. Uh, in this film, and so I just thought that it was, you know, a hilarious look at at entering middle age, uh, and um, as well as uh, you know, just a a, a fun uh, kind of adventure film, and and it does have a lot of heart. I mean, it's about you know friendship and uh, and and growing older uh, and adapting to that as gracefully as you can, and so you know, basically something happens at Sifu. That's their word. Yep. Sifu is their word for sensei. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, uh, when he dies under mysterious circumstances, it gets the band back together, so to speak, uh, to look into what happened to him. And so of course it wouldn't be a martial arts action comedy, uh, if it hadn't been something nefarious that they have to uncover and track down and catch the bad guy and what have you. And so, uh, but the, the principal cast is great. Uh, and I have to tell you that I don't know about you, Adam, but the guy who stole that movie for me was the guy who plays their little high school nemesis. Yes. Uh, his name is his character's name is Carter. And, and in the early scenes, we have seen him just getting his butt kicked by all three of these guys over and over again when they were kids because they were always better trained than him and better at martial arts than him. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to spoil stuff, but essentially it is almost as if he has spent the last 30 years training for the day that he would have to square off with them again <laughs> and it's time for him to get his last laugh. And that performance is just a riot. So was uh, so I just I thought it was great. It just you know had to be for somebody who saw 
the karate kid in a theater with his girlfriend at the age of 16 uh, to then see Paper Tigers at the age of 51. Uh, it's just totally in my wheelhouse and was as if somebody just made it for me. Yeah. yeah, I feel like that sounds like my uh, my type of film. Yes, it. it so I, I've described it to people as the anti Liam Neeson film, um, because it's literally every piece of convention that has come from that silver fox kicking ass genre. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they ain't it, got no special skills. It, it, there, there's <laughs> no special skills not anymore. here. <laughs> no, not anymore. There, it, it's definitely pulled groins and hamstrings and losing of toupees and all other sorts <laughs> of just embarrassment um but like scott is so on the nose with the like is so right with the, the fact that it just has this huge heart um but never never like maudlin it's yeah, doesn't never sappy. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not it's, sappy. It's never plague you yeah. no it definitely doesn't um it, it's just it's just a good like it's it like you know like we talked about the bill and ted kind of thing like just a good movie and just earnest about being a good movie that's exactly what it uh, what it is it's it's just earnest about everything it's upfront, but manages to do it with a lot of style um the opening the opening credits is like this great it's like 80s throwback in the best way because it's all like uh like i'll leave with this it's that they start off the film with this montage, but it's a montage of these kids filming themselves uh, yeah. with a, like a VHS camcorder. <laughs> yeah. And it's all set to run DMC, a run DMC track. And it's just, it, it, it sets the tone perfectly because of what you've seen before and what you think you're going to get, but it's so not that. So, uh, yeah, paper tigers is definitely worth it. Um, I do know that they do have some form platform releasing. I just don't know when it's supposed to come out. Um, but yeah, definitely seek this one out guys. And with that, uh, my number two, number two, yes, my number two is savage state. Um, so, Sa uh, did you uh i forgot uh, did, jeff did you get to see savage state no nope, it's one of the ones i missed okay on the, list. on the list okay so i'm gonna just give like a like what i said in my in my review it's take one part louisa may alcott one part sam peckinpah and then mix it in a blender with like some kind of deconstructionist western film by uh, like like filmed by like the team that filmed knife plus heart and you get savage state which is this it's about it's at the end of the civil war this family of french uh, this french family and so that people have like this little history lesson during uh during the civil war uh like french uh the french were told by napoleon to which like blew my mind i i knew the timelines but i really didn't add it up to know that napoleon was ruling france at the time that the civil war was going on um but he told them to stay neutral so they did um and they had no they had nothing in the war but this french family who now is at it's at the tail end of the war and they are in missouri um they're in fear for their lives and what's going to happen as 
uh, un- the Union um, comes into uh, comes into Missouri and starts taking over, uh, specifically because they have three young daughters. So with their three young daughters in tow, the husband and wife and their uh, free um, black maid all decide to leave and trek out of Missouri to, I think it's, they're supposed to be going to Louisiana to New Orleans to take a boat to France. Um, Yes. They hire who like, which what could be affectionately called a mercenary. Um, And he is the person that's supposed to be leading them through the treacherous Missouri trails. Um, the pro- only problem is, is that this guy has decided to double cross a um, a group of criminals that he was working with, and they're hot on their trail, and the and the gang is led by his his ex like his ex lover, and it's what happens during this track and it's it's like like i have to say it is very sam peck and paul not in the way that the action is played out but in the relationships but less of like peck and paul's sexist attitudes towards women but in the way that there's a rawness to the relationships um, and how things play out. And it's very much a morality play that has like this, like Peckinpah esque, like gunfight at the end that that's kind of like a dream, but kind of not. Um, it's really, it's something that you have to actually watch more it's an experiential thing more than it is like something that you can just really describe it's very it's it's something that is a feeling more than it is like a plot uh i I don't know scott why don't you why don't you kind of chime in here uh because i know that i'm kind of blathering on about this one (laughs) yeah good it's uh, it falls in that category of westerns that are not set in the west Uh, So, you know, it just has like a Western feel, but it doesn't necessarily have a Western setting. You're not, you know, uh, in a frontier town and gold mines and and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, It's just set in the 1860s. And so uh, you've got that Western vibe to it. It, it, of course, is reminiscent of like the keeping room. Uh, And then uh, have you guys seen uh, Five Fingers from Marseille? I have. The, the, it's a, it's basically like a, a Western out of South Africa uh, that I saw at Fantastic Fest a few years ago. It's actually playing on Amazon Prime right now. Uh, and so uh, that's another example of kind of like a Western, but that isn't set in the American West. Uh, and so, yeah, I agree with you. It, uh, it It's really good. I, I had wondered about the truthfulness of the history. It was a very interesting idea yeah. of, uh, you know, Napoleon says... Hey, French citizens living in America, don't take sides in the Civil War. But the long and the short of it is you make relationships, uh, you get involved with, you know, entrepreneurs and businessmen and stuff like that. And so as the Union are coming through, they're kind of like, well, you may not have declared your loyalty for the South, but you're clearly a Southern sympathizer. So we'll just treat you as an enemy. Yeah. And that's what kind of so like they, they really wound up. Yeah. And then. 
that's what ignites the need to flee uh, is basically just, you know, looked at as, as being accomplices to the, the union uh, or rather uh, the, the rebels. And so uh, they, uh, you know, run them out of town and, and, and are uh, in pursuit. And, uh, and it, it becomes really clear. It has a nice little dinner party scene that is interrupted uh, by the arrival of the enemy. And so I like the implications of that scene. And, and it wasn't one of these, you know, oh, let's stay around until things really get bad. Uh, they read the tea leaves and decided it was time to flee. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's really good. And, uh, and the, the uh, you know, production design of it, the look of it, uh, and everything like that was just uh, was excellent. Absolutely. Um, a few notes. So for trigger warning, no rape. I'm very happy to report no rape, but they still do manage to put that sense of dread in you. Um, I know that like a lot of people, especially me, I just cannot stand that use of that particular trope. But I like, you know, I because of what's been implied about this movie, there could be something like that in there, like Nightingale. Um, but there's definitely not. And then the other thing has a score that's reminiscent of like M83's music. So if you're definitely, nice. yeah, if you're definitely into that kind of music, the the kind of um, overdrive synth pop French uh, French stuff, it definitely has that kind of, uh, it has that score. It definitely has that okay. score. So, so yeah, uh, definitely well worth it once it's released. Uh, beautifully photographed too, just amazingly photographed. Um, so with that, we are to our number ones, gentlemen. So Jeff, what was your number one? So uh, my number one, uh, and I thought carefully about this because it may be a little controversial with some folks. Um, I picked Come True. Okay. All the, right. Uh, did either of you gentlemen see it? I have not seen it. I've not. Okay. S- I, s- I requested it, but I never got it. Like okay. I've so. Heard that from a couple people. Yeah. yeah, that was that was true for me as well. I was just trying to be diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest about it. I mean, it's there's nothing bad. It just means like it just right. means yeah. that that like you saying it's your number one definitely puts it high on my priority list of once it's uh, because I know that this is something that's that's going to be released. Um, in oh, like it's yeah. going to be released so. Yeah, I think it's I think it's this year. I think it's this fall. So yeah, so it's um uh and it's it's one uh I, I did fortunately load up on my TV in good conditions because it's a beautiful film. The visuals are amazing. Uh, this young woman has problems sleeping. Uh, without nightmares, she takes part in this sleep study. Uh, and over the course of the film discovers that there's something behind her nightmares that starts to bleed into the world. Hmm. And um, it's uh, it's a really well executed, very uh, tight film. There's like a really nice um, development of dream visuals and escalation of, of scares. I would say that for me, it's uh, if I were to tell you what film I think from the fast is scariest, it's, kind of a close tie between come true and dark and the wicked for me. Um, and, and it just has uh, a lot of intelligence behind it. It's um, visuals are amazing. Cinematography is gorgeous. And, and uh, the one reason why it's controversial is because there's a, the, there's a particular way in which the ending is open to interpretation in some ways. And something happens that you either will love or hate 
but I uh, and and depending on what terp- interpretation I land on, I either love or hate the ending. But um, it's a great watch. It's absolutely worth your time, and I think it leaves it open to to different alternatives enough that even if you're you're like what you know you're still going to find a lot of love. All right, all right. Um, question for you. Um, like when I read the description, it really felt Cronenberg esque. Is it? Is it kind of in that in that kind of wheelhouse, or is it is it uh, something entirely different? Um, not as much as you'd think. Um, okay, I would say it's uh, it's kind of like uh, if you took a tool video, stretched it out over a feature film, and made it more gorgeous and five times more terrifying. That that would be about okay. Because there's a lot of like like uh you're watching someone's nightmare progression, you know, uh-huh. and it's surreal. I wish it was on the big screen and it's just, uh, visually, uh, just really well done. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Well, this definitely is uh, this, this definitely sounds like something I, I definitely want to see then. I got to yeah. talk to you about the ending. So you got to see it. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> We're definitely doing that then when it comes out, I'm, I'm definitely watching it. All right. All right. Good things. Uh, Scott, what was your number one? Yeah, my number one was my punch drunk boxer. All right, uh, and Love and it. I will tell you, I you know now that I look at my my kind of my top five, when I look at the columnist, paper tiger, and my punch drunk boxer, I think a lot of how difficult it is to make a really good movie in those various genres. Uh, you have the kind of really dark humor, uh, satire. Uh, you have kind of the the feel good buddy movie heartwarming uh, kind of film with the paper tigers, and then with my punch drunk boxer, you know, it's it, to me fundamentally it's a romance, and you know, love stories are just so hard to do. And in my you know in my review, I wrote about the idea that I think that love stories are hard to do in films because love takes time to develop. And so it's hard within 90 minutes, two hours, something like that, to convincingly have people who have allegedly never known each other before. And then at the end of the movie, you believe that they're really in love with each other. Mm-hmm. And and so that's where the meet cute comes from. You know, we got a shorthand, the meeting uh, and, and falling in love with each other so that the whole rest of the movie can take place or you get the kind of love at first sight kind of trope thing going. Yeah. And so I thought that this movie just was, was really charming as, as Jeff said earlier and just did a great job of having characters, you know, kind of meet in a normal way and interact with each other and watch this relationship grow uh, to the point that, you know, at the very end of it, I was very invested in the outcome uh, of the characters and it was almost like it was a movie set in the sports world that wasn't that much of a sports movie to me uh, the, mm-hmm. the sport certainly played into it uh, but uh, but I felt like it was the the relationship story uh, and really relationships between a number of the characters uh, that really worked so well and so it's just one of those types of films that I just don't see done well that often and I think that's one of the reasons that it, it tops my list is it just seemed like such an accomplishment. Yeah. I would say that like it, the, the, one of the things that I found refreshing was that um, 
the, the characters are very different from each other, but their their relationship and their interactions, they're both likable in different ways, and they, they interact with each other very believably. And their relationship is like, it's challenged, but it's healthy, hmm. you know? Which is okay. kind of rare in a lot of rom-coms because you usually have someone that like makes someone fall in love with them and they're really kind of the jerk or there's something a little bit off about it. But in this, it's just believable and it's, you know, their re- interactions are relatively healthy, which is kind of rare. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. All right. Um, this just makes me. <laughs> this just makes me more, more, more angry that I was not able to get a screener for this one because I really did. It was really high on my list. It just um, at the end of the day, the the rep just they gave me other stuff, and so like I had to cover that stuff. So, um, yeah. but it. it well, you know, go ahead. Sorry, the, 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 I was going to say, and the one other thing. I mean, while I cued in on the uh, the the romance, you know, I really I love foreign films because. I love learning about other cultures mm-hmm. and learning about just, you know, other ways of living, uh, things of that nature. And so I found this movie to be really interesting on that level as well. Uh, the particular type of boxing that he trains for uh, is is unique uh, to kind of Asian culture, uh, his, his method of training to the rhythm of drum beats. Uh, and uh, and it's like a, a thing where you have uh, young females who can play these drum patterns and then these athletes train to these drum patterns. And so on top of just being a good romance and everything like that, it, it did what I kind of think the best foreign films do, uh, which is introduce you into aspects of the way of life of another culture. And, and expose you to some things that you may not have otherwise been exposed to. Uh, and so I thought that uh, as someone who has seen as many foreign films uh, as I have, the subject matter of this movie was nothing that I'd ever encountered before. And so uh, I found that really interesting as well. Absolutely. Like it just like everything that you guys are saying is just making me more and more want to see this. So I'm going to definitely have to uh, earmark this one. Um so my number one um, was a uh, was the Korean thriller "Bring Me Home." Um, Scott, I know that you saw this, but Jeff, did you get to see this? No, I actually saw quite a few of the Asian thrillers, and I missed that one. Oh Damn. wow! This one is yes, this, it's super. It, yeah, like uh, Damn so it. it it's like the big thing about it is, especially like as somebody who pro- like you know who knows uh, who dips into Asian cinema. The big thing is for this one is that it's the, the return of actress, uh, Lee young. I, uh, who was the lead in, um, sympathy for lady vengeance or lady vengeance, whichever, whichever title you prefer, um, who took literally a 15 year songer from filmmaker from film and came back specifically for this movie. Um, there's a reason why she came back for this movie. It is, it, in every way, it is a perfectly executed thriller. It's it's going to make like 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 this isn't just the best like you know of Fantasia. This is going to make my top ten. Um, it's probably going to make my top ten this year because it's that strong. Literally, the last thirty minutes of this movie has you in a tight taunt ball of of anxiety, um, and a lot of that has to do with her performance. 
in this movie. Now, the setup for the thrill uh, for this movie is it's pretty simple. Um, she plays a a nurse, Jung uh, Young, uh, who is really well respected with her peers and within her her community. But um, her and her husband lost their child. Um, their child had gone missing about six years ago and they have been obsessive about it. It's kind of like shades of the vanishing, um, except for it's a child, it's a child instead of his girlfriend. Um, and something happens that prompts the entire, and I don't want to ruin anything because like some of the stuff that like that happens in the first 20 minutes are very kind of, it's what pulls you in, but something happens that causes everything to get uh, to the plot to start and from there it is this strangely inverse hitchcockian thriller that you honestly do not know how it's going to end and quite literally when it ends when you realize the ending and how like everything played out you like if you're somebody who loves thrillers it's a slow clap i mean it is literally you have to bow to this movie um and it's not just her. Like this movie is more of a performance-based kind of film, though it is, it is tauntly raw, uh, written and directed. Um, this is actually uh, the director Kim Sung Woo's debut feature, which is even more impressive to me. Um, yeah, that's that's hard to believe. Yes. Now, a tr- like up another upfront war- uh, trigger warning for people: this movie deals with child abuse and. Like in all things Korean in genre films, it does not shy away from it. I mean, there are moments where they're literally smacking children in this film. And there's also more stuff like there's like sexual abuse and the abuse is not it's not explicit, but it definitely it will definitely like if if anybody has triggers about that kind of stuff, just I would say stay away from this film because it definitely throws that kind of stuff. Like the best way I can describe this film is in the way that it's executed. It's as elegant as I saw the devil. If you, um, if, if our audience knows. I love that movie. Yes. And it's my favorite. Right. Uh, Which I'm glad that they've never remade. Like I know that Adam Wingard, I know that Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett had this whole remake in mind, but I'm so glad that they've never remade that movie. And uh, trust me, guys, that's actually something that we are actually probably going to talk about in the future because we're planning some like underrated action films. And I would, I'm going to try to sneak that one in if Scott's okay with and it. And I'm going to be on it. Okay. You're, you're, that's totally cool. Awesome. Anybody, anybody, anybody that loves I Saw the Devil, like, you know, you're invited. Trust me. Like, we will let you know. Definitely. Um, when I saw that movie at the ending, I was just like, my jaw literally dropped. Yeah. And it was like that for like a solid 10 minutes. That's the kind of feeling you get in this film. Love it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this was something that I just... I, I, I still haven't shook the movie and I saw this a week ago. So, so yeah. And it's something that I, um, I actually went back to one more time just to confirm my strong feelings for it. And, uh, yeah, I mean the second viewing, all it does is reaffirm how beautifully and elegantly constructed this film is. I really do feel like it's one of the 
better debut films that I've seen in a long time. So, um, yeah, if you can go ahead and get your hands on this one, um, and we'll be talking, I'll let everybody know when I know that it's actually, um, being released in the U S because it is something special. And I really hope they don't remake this one because I have a feeling like in the worst case scenario, it's the, let's go ahead and remake it with Sandra Bullock or Julie Roberts, which I really hope they don't. What if they remake it with Josh Brolin? Oh, let's not let's let the the more we forget that Spike ever directed that film, the better off we are. Oh, God. Talk about tone deaf. Talk about tone deaf. I, I just I had no idea. Like, like, why do you like like that's the whole thing? Like, let, let's just talk about that for a second and appreciate. Why do you remake korean like like something that is so culturally embedded into that culture why do you try to remake that why not just hire the director to make films here and it works and that director makes english language films that are good yes stoker is something that everybody has forgotten but it's so good so good yeah i mean like any like you get like i mean Bong Joon-ho, why remake any of his films? Just get Bong Joon-ho to direct a movie in the U.S. Yeah. Plus, the thing that gets me is like when you have uh, remakes of films that still feel very modern and they very much work. Yes, because like, if it's if it's a masterpiece, right? Yeah, and you could say Old Boy is a masterpiece. Oh yeah. Um, why? Like, what can a remake accomplish? You can't improve upon it. The best you can get is try and make something roughly as good, which is a fool's errand. Like, you don't gain anything. You just run a high risk of failure. Yeah. It, 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 it makes no sense to me other than you're remaking it because people don't want to read subtitles. Well, at least that's your thought process on it. And yeah. I, I just, like, you know, you talk about like, I mean, like, but then there's certain films that, like, I'm thankful that they could just never do, like JSA. Like, I was just thinking about JSA a, long, um, a while back and thinking about how good a film that is and how you just can't remake that for a U.S. audience. How do you do that? Like, how do you how do you functionally make a movie about the DMZ border between North and South Korea and friendships there? You just you just can't. Um, it's just, it's, it's a slippery slope and I'm like, you know, I just really dislike whenever they try to remake like, like any foreign film period. Um, I mean the exception, I know this is going to sound really weird and off, but funny games, Michael Haneke's funny games, us and, and German, like they're kind of these weirdly, like I'm okay with it because it's Haneke. Um, yeah, I feel like if you have a director make their own film, it's a little different. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it's just like, it's like, it's, it, it just, it feels like a, like you said, it's a fool's errand. Like why, what do you get out of it? You know? Um, so with that, um, is anything, anybody want to add anything else about Fantasia or any of the other films? Is there any kind of like uh, anything else that you guys thought about that you were like, Oh, you know, just drop this in as a, as an extra film that we just didn't talk about, but, you know, maybe you want to just give a shout out to. Uh, yeah, I got two. If, okay. If that's cool. Sure. Um, uh, I really liked uh, sheep without a shepherd. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that ending. Yes. Um, <sighs> the ending was awesome. Um, the, the premise is so great. Um, yes. 
so so basically just to like really quickly pedal into it uh so basically this uh this family's daughter uh goes on the school trip and she is uh, sexually assaulted by the son of the local police chief who's kind of corrupt and in a struggle over some blackmail footage ends up uh killing the son sending the mother after the family and the father has to kind of help them get away with it using the fact that he's a uh, basically addicted to detective films. Yeah. <laughs> so it's this meta detective film, like love letter. It's so fun. It's very tense. You love a lot of the characters and the ending's really great. Yep. The ending is like, Okay, so we talked about not remaking films. This film could totally be a U.S. remake um, mm-hmm. because of just what it's speaking about. Like, it's it's a very prescient film. But I'm glad mm-hmm. that, like, if they don't remake it, I just would recommend it to everybody because it's that, like, it, like the topic that they're talking about and, like, you know, how, like, what happens in that last third is very prescient to 2020. So yeah, no, I'm glad that you mentioned that one because that's a, that's a, yep, absolutely. Uh, you said you had a second one. Uh, yeah. Um, I also have to, to just drop a reference for crazy samurai Musashi. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm laughing, but that movie made me laugh the entire way through uh, in the best way possible. Yeah. Can I, can I swear on here? Cause I can never swear my articles. Uh, it is goddamn nuts. <laughs> yes! A 77-minute one-take. Like, it's basically like um, uh, most famous samurai of all history, uh, Miyamoto Musashi, Sashi, yep. versus like 577 other samurai over 77 straight minutes of a one-take. And he, the actor, the lead performance is so good, and he looks exhausted because he's exhausted. And it's so insane, nonstop choreography, like it's just stupidly fun and it's something that i don't know i don't know if any other director will be like bold enough or dumb enough if to try something like that again and it is absolutely cinematic achievement freaking loved it yes like uh, 30 minutes into the movie i was like he's gonna fucking do this like he's really going to do this because like at a certain moment you think okay so when's when's the when's like when's something gonna break and nothing breaks and it becomes this weird kind of video game gasper no i mentioned i i mentioned it's kind of like in my review i i compared it to like a video game by way of gasper no if he was japanese because of the way that it's shot and i love how like it uses kind of video game language with the 40 stuntmen that they have that keep on dying, but then Mm -hmm. after they turn back, they disappear. It's almost like a video game. And and there's natural stopping points too. Exactly. Catch his breath because he's killed everyone in this (laughs) area. And then you, but it makes it work because he stops, you know, rinses out his mouth and you can hear the background. I'm looking for him, which makes it work. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I just love how it just, it's a shot and he uses like uh, the director uses the, the light. Um, mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, he films it at a perfect time where it becomes the whole, like he uses magic hour, which is perfect. Um, yeah. and 
Yeah, it, it's it's a crazy film. I would have loved to have seen this at midnight, being really kind of exhausted yeah. with a crowd with a crowd of people. Um, it's designed for that. Um, so yeah, I, I'm glad that yeah. you mentioned that oh, one too. <laughs> and the and the one thing I don't think this spoils anything. I mean, kills fucking everybody. So yeah. like that's kind of part of the plot. So I guess that is the ending. Um, there's one person he doesn't kill because the camera loses him. This is my favorite moment. The camera loses him for a moment while he's doing off, probably killing people. Um, <laughs> and it you you kind of like the camera hones in on this uh, argument between two other samurai. And I was just like, why are we even doing this, man? Like, I just want to go home. Yes. And Musashi had overheard it and just left. Like, he intervenes and you think he's going to kill the guy. He just lets him go because he heard him be like, I don't even want to be here. <laughs> it's just such a real moment. And I loved it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, it's it's something else. Like, it definitely is something else. And, uh, like, it may not be for everybody, but for the people that it's for, like, and I know that that sounds weird, guys, but it really is an experiential thing. You Like, you're not going to know if you're going to love this film until you actually do the work and actually watch it. Uh, because I wasn't even sure. Um, like, because I was like, okay, so how are they going to do this 77-minute take? And even the first couple of minutes, I was unsure about it. But then when it gets rolling and you're into minute 20 of that take and you're like, oh, they're going to do this. I don't know how many times they had to do this to get this perfect, but man, this is great. Yeah, it's it's the one movie at this year's Fantastic Fest that Alfonso Cuaron wishes he made. <laughs> yes, this is very it's true. <laughs> oh, that's so great. I'm going to leave it at that one, for that one. Scott, did you have any other additional ones that you wanted to mention before we wrap uh, up? Pro- probably the only thing, uh, the only other one that I would mention is the Clapboard Jungle. Yes. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, it. Uh, I think it's just one of those movies of anybody who is interested in breaking into the business. You just really need to see it. Uh, and so, I mean, especially, you know, if you're, you're going to be going through, you know, the indie world and trying to put together your own financing and, and things of that nature, I just thought it was a really great look at, uh, the way that things work and, and how much effort and time and, you know, blood, sweat and tears it takes to, uh, to get a film made. And, and I've never been one to, to really do like, you know, mean reviews, uh, of movies, you know, I mean, if I didn't like it, I didn't like it. And I'll tell you why I didn't like it. But then I'll fully admit that, you know, somebody else may love it. And so I yeah. think movies like that kind of strengthen that attitude. It's like when you see what people go through just to get a film made, then you can imagine how they feel if they make that movie and it didn't all that good. And yeah. so uh, I think it's uh, Adam Green and Joe Lynch on on their podcast, The Movie Crypt. One of them, I can't remember which one of them it is. We'll we'll use the phrase "nobody sets out to make a terrible movie." And, Except for and... cats. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Tom Hooper. That's the one. You can trash that film. That's fine. <laughs> Every other film, you'll be thoughtful. But uh, but yeah, but but I think it uh, I, I think it gives good insight into just you know what it takes to get something you know onto screens or onto VOD or or whatever you're you're aspiring to. And so especially, you know, creative folks who are interested in doing that at some point, uh, you know, it's going to be kind of a primer for years to come for for people to to see. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. No, absolutely. Like uh, Justin McConnell, sh- shout out to the director and star of the documentary. Um, you got you, you had to root for him. Like I was rooting for him the entire time. Like and just a great positive attitude through everything. You just go this this guy. I just want to like I just want to give him a hug and say, bro, it's going to be OK. It's going to be OK um, because of just I mean, it's his tenacity. So um with that, I'm just going to mention two, um, just two really quick. They're both wrong. Uh, they're both romances, but not necessarily romances in the traditional sense. Um, the first, the first one is Johnny Toe's, uh, what I feel Johnny Toe's comeback film, um, uh, is, uh, chasing dream. Have either one of you saw that? Did either one of you? I did not. Okay. Nope. Uh, didn't get to it. Okay, so it's literally a martial arts competition film mixed in with a musical competition film. And it's a love story between the boxer and the musician. But done in the way that Johnny Toe does movies, like, um, like I'm I'm very familiar with Johnny Toe, but I don't know if either one of you are are. Um, but it's that kind of rough around the edges way that like, you know, Johnny Toe loves to bruise. And it's definitely in here. And, but at the same time, there's this sweeter side that we haven't seen in his harder edge movies um, that comes through. I, I really liked it. I enjoyed it a lot. And then the other one was uh, Dinner in America. Just this punk rock anti-rom-com. Uh, yeah, I've heard a lot of people really love that one. It's really good. Yeah, it's really good. Um, It's very small scale, but the thing that you kind of get out of it is this, the kid that's in it, the punk rock kid, Kyle Kyle Gallner, this kid's going to be a star. Like he just has this energy that, you know, that in a couple of years, this is going to be, this is his starting point and he's going to find traction um, because he's just such a magnetic star in the film. And then, um, the um Emily Skeggs plays the um the other half of the romance and she's great in this because she's not your typical like she's not like a manic pixie dream girl like like I hate that I hate that trope in rom-coms which seems to be still around but she's definitely not that and it's kind of it's just like I said it's a great small scale romance that's very punk rock so with that guys um it was great having you on, Jeff. Like it's, it's been an honor um, having Thank you go you so through much. that. No, absolutely, absolutely, and we will definitely have you on for I Saw the Devil. Like I, that's one of my favorites. So likewise, absolutely. Yeah, that sounds that sounds awesome. It, uh, uh, Jeff, uh, me- meeting Jeff at Fantastic Fest last year was a very fortuitous thing. So uh, I'm glad we uh, cross paths. Uh, yeah, headed to see, I don't uh, really early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bright and early in the morning, uh, headed to a press screening of The Lighthouse. So, uh, I'm pretty sure <laughs> yeah, that's what so it was. Yeah, it's been great to be on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, glad to have you. Absolutely. Well, guys, um, we will be back uh, next week and we're going to wrap up our summer of comedy with the Farley's Kingpin and then. We're off to our next uh, our next series of films, which we will announce uh, when we talk about uh, Kingpin, uh, the best Farley film. I I'm going to say I don't know what Scott feels about it, 
but um, I have a date with uh, the processor right now. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, say goodbye to all of you guys. And thank you so much again, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. It has. Thank you so much. Absolutely. We'll talk to you guys soon.